Batman, The Joker's War on Christmas, Part 1. There's no place like home for the holidays. A cloudy moonlit sky glows over Gotham City. A light snowfall descends upon the strands of lights, glistening ornaments, and greenery that endlessly deck the halls around downtown. There are many colors capable of whitewashing a broken city. The rich are successful at that, more or less the ignorant ones. There is one, however, that stands out from the rest. Bruce Wayne. The Wayne family was the royal family of Gotham City. They were rich, but they were charitable and compassionate. And there are consequences for being true to one's integrity in Gotham, especially individuals of such a high social standing and influence. The murder of Thomas and Martha was a tragedy, a scandal even some wondered. But those kinds of things get swept under the rug. Their absence left Gotham vulnerable to shady businessmen, mobsters, gangs, and underground societies all competing to fill a power vacuum. It also gave birth to a hero of the fallen angel type, a dark knight, the Batman. That's what he calls himself. In his own head, too. Bruce is the real alias. He always felt like he had a lot to measure up to with the legacy his parents left. Between things he's done, and his own internal conflictions, he's felt he had already failed before. Whether it's been as Bruce or as Batman, he's struggled and faltered, but done his best to maintain honor with the family name. Alfred did his best to honor Thomas and Martha as well. He raised their true legacy, their son. Alfred was never like a father to him though, more like an uncle or a much older brother. He had a firm hand, but was still comforting and encouraging as any parent should. It just didn't have the same feel as having a mother or a father. A coldness took over Wayne Manor in the void of Martha and Thomas, but Alfred and Bruce did their best to make it through together, and right now, Alfred is out doing his annual holiday gift shopping for his closest loved ones. Being as tech-savvy as he is, Alfred resents the modern-day use of online shopping. He prefers the more traditional means of physically going to the stores, he thinks it to be more personal that way. One might ask, what could you really get for a man who already has everything? It's a fair question, but it stems from the assumption that everyone achieves a higher sense of satisfaction by being rich. Remember, we are talking about the boy who firsthand witnessed the murder of his parents, spent many occasions in his life cycling through shame, self-doubt, isolation, self-alienation, running away from home, etc., and not to mention the loss of a son. Yes, a son. But we'll get back to that. Bruce is at a point in his life where he realizes true wealth is in having those around you that love and care for you, whether it's Alfred, his new friends, some old ones, or his kids. It is more about the quality of those closest to you, not the quantity. As mentioned before, Bruce is a dad, but in a similar way to how Alfred is. Bruce had no knowledge of how to raise a child, nor did he ever intend on being a parent. He just tried to learn along the way. Bruce is the kind of person that bears the responsibility over things he knows he's capable of doing. He wasn't prepared to father Dick Grayson, but from his own experience, the world can feel like a cruel and uncaring place for a child trying to go about life after a traumatic experience. Dick also lost both of his parents right before his own eyes. Bruce was with him every bit of the way through all of it. 
the police investigation, the court hearings, and adoption. There wasn't even a hesitation. Bruce saw himself in Dick's situation and wanted to be the one to make his life frustra less frustrating. They did butt heads, however, which made the relationship more distant as they both got older. Dick was daring, ambitious, and why wouldn't he be? He was, after all, a trapeze artist. Bruce never intended on him becoming a vigilante as well. That was, in a sense, the kind of thing he wanted to prevent from happening. Not that the idea of a Batman is bad, but the reason for why he is Batman is what haunts him every second of every day. Dick became Robin. He designed his suit mused by the costume he used to wear with his parents in the circus as the Flying Graysons. Dick was actually the one that discovered Bruce was the Batman. After that, he persisted on being the Boy Wonder sidekick. Over time, with a lot of convincing and arguments, Dick proved himself to be more of an equal. Bruce knew he could trust him, which speaks volumes of a man who doesn't trust easily. No matter what, though, Bruce kept his secrets, for his own reasons that he never disclosed. Although Alfred may have cooperated every time, it didn't sit well with Dick. Bruce all too often took it upon himself to fight crime alone. That is what frustrated Robin. When would he be worthy of doing every mission, knowing every secret? To him, it seemed like Bruce looked down on him. But truthfully, Bruce was always afraid of losing someone else in his life. Alfred he could keep tucked away in the Batcave. He could not always guarantee protection for Robin. So, Dick ditched the boy Wonder and became Nightwing, also basing his suit design from another Flying Grayson costume. He moved to Bloodhaven and even lived in an apartment downtown. One of the things he criticized of Bruce was how could he try to have a bond with a city that he lives detached from? Nightwing would come home to visit. He and Batman crossed paths if their missions did, but they never actually made up from their split. Can you give me a hint on what you might want this year? A text reads across Alfred's phone from Dick, to which he promptly calls him in return. Dick answers the call. You could have just replied a new rotary phone instead, jabbing at Alfred's resilience to conforming to the ways of modern technology. I am perfectly capable of texting, Master Grayson. What I can appreciate is you answering so I know you're all right. Alfred replies. Can we be expecting you in the next day or so? Christmas is still three days away, Alfred. I don't want I don't think I want to be around that long. I don't want to feel like I'm walking on eggshells, said Dick. Don't take time for granted before it's too late. Some of us don't have as much time such as yourself. Okay, okay, you got me. Hurt me on the guilt trip. That's more like a chap. If you come tomorrow, you can help me finish my shopping. All right, Dick affirmed. Real quick, who else is coming over? He inquired. Well, Master Drake is due to return the day after tomorrow. Alfred replied, leaving a pause for silence. He knew Dick was reluctant to ask about one other, but he wanted him to say it anyway. Tim, and anyone else? Well, I suppose it's possible more might be in attendance. We have made new acquaintances as of lately. So, and yes, I've invited Miss Gordon. I assume she will be joining us. Ah, right, okay. Dick said, filling a gap of silence while he collected words to actually formulate a legitimate sentence.
Well, I've got another class to start. I'll let you get back to it. See you tomorrow, Master Grayson. Alfred hung up. Do you ever get the feeling that you're being watched, or rather followed? Alfred was feeling that because he was being followed. He just didn't know for how long. Alfred returned back to the Wayne estate. The manor still sits in ruins, or seemingly so. After a recent death in the family, Bruce felt unworthy of staying there any longer. He moved to the lake house, which was a gift Thomas had built for Martha. They spent quite some time there, but it did not have the same kind of sentiment the manor did. That was part of the Wayne legacy, a house symbolically built upon the virtues of the Waynes that came before him. Bruce felt less than a fraction of the person his parents were. He felt he wasn't upholding those virtues and therefore not a proper member of the House of Wayne. When Bruce moved out, Alfred stayed. He sought to fulfill his duty to the Wayne family, but over time, keeping up with taking care of the house became too much. Frankly, he felt less motivated living there alone anyway. Bruce had another smaller house built on the estate, about the size of the lake house for him, with secret access to the back cave as well. He respected the privacy Bruce wanted. Alfred visited the manor once in a while to walk the halls, but even he felt as though he was failing Martha and Thomas. But he could never give up on Bruce. He refused to fail them with him. Lately, things have been looking up, too. Bruce was beginning to show more of the light in him. Alfred could see it. He just wasn't sure why. What epiphany could Bruce have come to that would make him change? Read me my notifications, Alfred says to a device as he sets some shopping bags on the floor beside the doorway. Message from the lake house, the device states. Alfred, meet me downstairs when you get back. Bruce. A light in his peripheral caught his attention. It came from the direction of the manor, almost as if it came from inside the manor. But that couldn't be possible. Power boxes have been switched off there for a long time. It spooked him for a second. Several acres spaced between the mansion and any other road or building nearby. If someone were to even step foot on the grounds, it would have tripped off the security system. No one would have been able to breach the house in time. So was he really seeing someone or a ghost? He stared as he pondered the mystery behind the light source. Alfred headed to his bed, and at the touch of a button disguised as one of the bolts on his bed frame, the bed lifted up to reveal a platform that would transport him to the elevator to go down to the Batcave. Bruce was working on his computers designing something. Evening, Master Wayne. Hey. Bruce replied, not breaking eye contact with his computer. Shall I begin preparing supper, or will you be photosynthesizing the light from those screens for the evening? Dinner sounds great, he answered, unfazed by the sarcasm. What are you working on? Something we might need soon. On the main screen were blueprints for a treadmill-looking device. I spoke with Master Grayson earlier, Alfred said. Bruce was not enthused, but he wasn't upset either. That's great. And I've invited him up for the holidays. To come home. Master Drake as well. Bruce walked away to open a glass door and pull a drink out. Perhaps you'd like to reach out to reaffirm the invitation. 
Alfred asserted. He'll come home if he wants to. Tim too, Bruce replied, trying to brush off the topic. You know, you seem to be taking a different approach to your quest for justice as of lately. I can't help but think that maybe it has to do with the fact that we almost experienced the apocalypse, and there's the potential that the end of the world could still come back. I know you're preparing for the worst. Maybe it would be a good idea to apply that attitude to your family. That's not the way he feels about it. If I'm not mistaken, he said we weren't family before he left. I have tried Alfred. Have you? When was the last time you both spoke? Not as vigilantes, as Bruce and Dick. Bruce was silent. He didn't have an answer, because Alfred was right. They'd only spoken since when their work intertwined. Don't leave the opportunity at bay. If it gets taken from you, you'll only have regret. Alarms begin to siren. Surveillance of Gotham's night sky appear on the screen. The bat signal fills the clouds as they powder snow over the city beneath them. Bruce suits up. He dashes past a glass enclosure with Jason's graffitied Robin suit. Batman jumps into the Batmobile as it spins on its platform to turn and face the bridge to exit the Batcave. The engine revs one time before he takes off down a tunnel filled with slight turns and curves until the night sky appears above and he uses turbulence features to help boost him over for the jump over the edge of the lake and onto a path through the woods. As he's driving through the woods for a prompt arrival to the rooftop of GCPD to meet with Commissioner Gordon, like he always does, the Batmobile detects another vehicle nearby as if it is moving along with him. But there are no other lights and he doesn't see anything around him. He continues onto the bridge going into downtown. Whatever or whoever was following him should have been revealed by the streetlights now. But alas, the Batmobile no longer detected any surrounding vehicle. Batman exits the Batmobile, which goes into a lockdown mode upon departure, and he grapples onto a building near GCPD. He sees Jim walk out from the rooftop entry door alone, jumps and glides down and carefully lands next to him. Batman is impressive like that. He might be big and muscular, but he has mastered how to make his landing so finessed and his sprinting as quiet as the whistles the wind makes. You rang? Jim says. I didn't light this up, Batman replies. You saw me walk up, I'm sure. I couldn't have turned it on, went inside and ran back up with my old legs. There should only be one way to turn it on, from the switch on the side, Batman exclaimed. He looked around it to examine the large device. He ripped open the panel where the fuse for the light would be to find a foreign chip planted inside. He flipped the switch on the side, but the light stayed on. He took a small wand out of his belt and tapped the chip, which grounded the electric current. The light turned off. He picked it up to look and find it was professionally crafted. Definitely not somebody's basement project. The product of a tech company most likely but no serial number. Why do you think somebody would have planted something like that there? Jim asked rhetorically. Either someone wanted me here, or they were distracting me from somewhere else, Batman said. We need to move. If either one of them was the target, it probably wouldn't be best to go back inside. So Batman grabs Jim and repels down the scale of GCPD. They reach the bottom as gently as Batman could. 
I'd say you keep me young with my the things I do for this job, but my back would suggest otherwise, Jim says as he reunites his feet with solid ground. The city never sleeps, but no one really crowds the GCPD at night. Snow continues to fall. Cars buried in from snow mounds line portions of the streets. Get in, Batman commands. They both board the Batmobile, and Batman barely waits for Jim to buckle up before speeding off in pursuit of Arkham Asylum. In the past, if anyone was trying to keep Batman distracted, it was to enable a breakout at Arkham Asylum. Smoke ascends from pipes taller than the building itself into the cloudy and snowy sky above it. Batman parks it out front right next to the front door to make for a quick getaway if necessary. He looks down at the tires as he makes his way to the door. He always checks the wheels before he walks away. He glances at the front passenger tire last. He's always reminded of the time someone tried to take it. His mind visually transports him to a memory. It was about some 10 or 12 years ago. He was ending his patrol for the night and was returning to the Batmobile he had parked discreetly in an alleyway. A young boy was frantically trying everything in his power to loosen the bolts on the rims. But his luck ran thin when a large shadow had covered the spot he was crouched in. Back up or I'll mess you up the boy said, spinning with his tire iron raised. But he quickly cowered when he saw it was, in fact, Batman, whose presence was always intimidating, let alone for a young kid. Look, I don't want any problems, he said. The only reply he received was silence and a scary look from a man in a mask. I'm sorry, he added. Batman then did one of the most disturbing things no one would ever expect from him. He grinned. He lent out a hand to help the boy stand up. Lose a tire on your bike? He joked. The boy wasn't sure how to reply. I'm Jason. Batman, he returned. Jason then got a concerned look on his face. Are you going to turn me in? For what? He replied. Nothing appears to be stolen. He grinned again. Batman handed him a small bat-shaped object. It wasn't a battering. It was almost as small as one of the knuckles on his hand. Before Jason could look up, Batman was out of sight and already in the Batmobile. The loud revving of the engine startled Jason and sent him jolting backwards into the brick wall of the building behind him. Jason didn't realize it at the time, but the object was a tracker. Batman knew there was no way Jason was attempting to steal a tire just for the thrill of it, let alone one that was worth several hundred thousand dollars. He spent his time surveying him, watching over him to make sure he was okay. The only danger Jason was really in was at home. His father was an abusive alcoholic that projected his own shame onto his son. After his wife, Jason's mom, passed away, he couldn't cope. He tried to be tough, but it affected him adversely. He struggled to keep a job due to his temper. One night, during his usual rant and bashing lecture, towards Jason. He caused a fire accidentally from a cigarette he knocked off his ashtray that fell into a puddle of liquor he had spilled on the floor moments before. He was about to grab something to come at Jason with when the fire had instantaneously stoked and grew over him, the floor, the couch, and anything flammable nearby. Just then, Batman came breaking through a window, grabbed Jason, and launched out through a window on the other side of the apartment. Batman aimed his grapple back at the building to go back and save Mr. Todd, 
but the apartment fire had gone ablaze within seconds. There wasn't any chance of Mr. Todd was still alive after the gust of flames. Jason sobbed the whole night watching the scene. Batman wasn't sure whether to keep him from watching or to let him watch. No one was there at the murder scene of his parents to keep him from watching. But he knew this was different. Jason's dad was no Martha or Thomas. This moment would impact him for the rest of his life. They watched as the fires were extinguished and smoke filled the air. He came back to reality to find himself staring at the smoke that blinded the view of the sky above the building. There's always something so eerie about the engraved stone above the front door that reads, Arkham Asylum. Across the country, asylums aren't called such anymore. However, this facility was an exception, as it held some of the most dangerous, vile, and wicked superpowered villains the world had ever seen. Jeremiah, Batman says, reaching to shake the doctor's hand. Dr. Jeremiah Arkham took over Arkham Asylum after the passing of his relative Amadeus. This guy lives here. He is completely dedicated to his work. Either that, or he's just choosing to live among his own kind. Batman, Commissioner, he says, returning the gesture. I wouldn't have been expecting you two tonight, which says a lot considering the frequency that you're both here. Just making our rounds, you could say, replied the Commissioner. Batman was staring down the hall. The dim greenish light bulbs glowed off the painted brick walls, one of the lights just faintly flickering. The interior looked like the last time it had seen any renovations or updates was in the 60s. Little quiet tonight, Doctor? More like completely quiet, added Jim. I wouldn't think of any reason why, said Jeremiah. Up the security. Lock everyone in. Something's not right. We need to have a look around, said Batman. Dr. Arkham complied and went to the front security office. Everyone needed to be locked in. Any guards on the outside posed a threat to or breach into the building. Water lines shut down. Doors become blocked by metal plates. It could actually be more dangerous to be on the inside when this happens. Meanwhile at the Batcave, Alfred was busy working on a new cowl. He and Bruce have spent many years making improvements to suits and making new suits too but the playing field has changed countless times. This one wouldn't simply slip on from the top of the head, but would have different moving parts and open mid-cranial, and would self-latch and secure when closed on the head. This would allow for more tech in the cowl itself and more range of motion of the neck. However, it would sacrifice having the tech exposed. Just then, an echoing laughter trickled around the cave. It was the most infamous laugh of all time. Alfred looked around to find its source. He frantically scanned every wall and every doorway, but it was too late. The Joker began slowly strutting down the bridge to the Batmobile pad. Alfred tried to run to grab anything he could use to his defense. Ah, 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 said the Joker, boasting a large smile on his face. I wouldn't. You never know what surprise I might have up my sleeve. How? How did I get in here? Joker interrupted. Or... How did I find this secret clubhouse? Because both have the same answer. He looked Alfred up and down and began to laugh at the terror on his face. Oh, dear old Alfred, don't look so surprised. You know, a little birdie once sang to me. The Joker looked over at the glass enclosure holding the retired Robin suit. Would you look at that? 
I guess Robin is flying now, he says as he bursts into an obnoxious chuckle. You're a monster, Alfred said courageously. I'm not the monster because clearly I am an artist with my works on display. You will get yours one day. When, Alfred? The Joker scolded. Twenty years in Gotham, Alfred. That should have happened countless times. We live in a society bound in endless cycles. Joker got closer and just stared him in the eyes. The birdie told me about an old tunnel connecting straight to Gotham. You and Bruce are so lucky I have so much fun keeping your secrets. The thing about birdies, Alfred, is that they get quiet before a storm. And I have a big storm coming. Santa has a brand new bag this year. The Joker began walking backwards back down the bridge. Tell him to be ready this time, or else it wouldn't be as much fun. The Joker turns to an old door to take the hidden tunnel that connects underground directly to Wayne Enterprises, laughing as he runs away. Batman had only used it one time in several years. It was originally built as a way for Lucius Fox to be able to escape from Wayne Tower. He did use it one time while Jason was Robin. At the time, Bruce was in the tabloids for another romance affair. It was with a Miss Selina Kyle who had just been outed as being the Catwoman. It was quite scandalous. Bruce and Selina were on and off again kind of couple, but they weren't together at the time. That wasn't a good enough reason to keep the press off his back. There were always people waiting at any corner of the, around the property to try and catch a word from Bruce Wayne. One night, a call came up. While in the main manor, Bruce got a notification from the Batcave while in his study. He went to get Jason from his room. They promptly made their way to the bookshelf in the ballroom. The moonlight brightly glowed through the windows that stretched the whole scale of the wall of the room. Alfred tapped the three keys to access the secret passage. All three boarded the elevator that led to the Batcave. Alfred got behind the computer. Jason and Bruce suited up. This was the protocol. It was the good old days. Jason went to jump into the Batmobile. Not tonight, Batman said. Then how? asked Jason. Master Wayne, there's only one way to take the Batmobile or the Batwing out of here, said Alfred. We are the only estate for several miles. Paparazzi are lining the property. We can't take the Batmobile. Batwing goes to the side of the cave to rip of cover off unveiling the Bat Cycle with only room for one. Okay, where's the other one? asked Robin. There's just one, Batman replied. Of course, because why not? Batman on a bike and Boy Wonder hugging him on the back. I guess I'm sitting this one out, Jason said, throwing a fit. Batman wasn't ignoring his comment, he just refused to acknowledge it. Open the tunnel to Wayne Tower, Alfred. Sir, secret tunnel? asked Jason, slightly excited. When does it ever freaking end? The rich guy that adopted me as a superhero, just when that begins to feel like normal, then there's a secret tunnel, because why wouldn't there be? He rambled on, marching his way to the bat cycle and getting on the back. Batman turned back to look at Jason. Vroom vroom, Jason said sarcastically. Just this time, and we never did this. The tunnel doesn't exist. Understood? Batman lectured. Jason said nothing, but made the gesture of zipping his lips shut and throwing the key. 
Alfred hit some buttons, and a giant round stone rolled back, un revealing a hidden door that slid open. Batman and Robin made their way down the tunnel to speed off to downtown Wayne Manor Tower. Alfred gets on the communicator on the computer to reach Batman. Batman, come in. Meanwhile, Batman and Commissioner Gordon were still at Arkham Asylum. What is it, Alfred? Joker breached the Batcave. He's in the tunnel connecting to downtown. He may still be on his way. Batman turned his back to Jeremiah and grabbed Jim's arm. We need to go. Both quickly walked back down the hall so as to not raise suspicion. As they passed the holding cells, one patient grinned at Batman and began to whistle a Christmas tune, Jingle Bells. The whistle echoed as no other sound was made except for the footsteps of Batman and Jim going down the hall. The Batmobile unlocked and they jumped inside. Joker is heading underground to Wayne Tower. Jim went to grab his police comm. All you... Don't, Batman interrupted. I'll handle it. He tapped a button on the panel of the Batmobile notifying Lucius to lock down the applied science facility in the basement of Wayne Tower. Joker was already inside, making his way out on a motorcycle. He managed to grab a grapple gun as he zipped through the place. Joker was able to get inside the elevator, but Lucius managed to stop it from working before Joker could use it. Laughing from the pure enjoyment of the suspense of the moment, Joker planted a stick bomb with a smiley face on it, on the ceiling of the elevator and quickly ran out, awaiting the explosion for him to re-enter. In the hole of the ceiling, he pointed the grapple gun upward and ascended his escape to an elevator door with a big one next to it inside the shaft. Running towards the front door, he took the grapple gun and chucked it at the door. Much to his surprise, it did not break. He then reached it inside his coat and pulled out something resembling a water balloon with ace printed large across it. The balloon broke against the door and began to melt it. A getaway car peeled from around the corner and picked him up in a flash. Although he doesn't do it often, Lucius is able to connect with Batman via the communicator planted inside the cowl. Batman, he got away. I'm still confused about how he even got in. Batman didn't respond. Jim still didn't know who he was under the cowl and he sure didn't know about Lucius helping him behind the scenes. The car ride was silent for a long second. I know you rely on being secretive, and I don't want to impose you in any way, but if there's something over there you don't want me to see, anyone to know, you're going to have to cover up what just happened before the police report, said Jim. Batman didn't respond. Jim wasn't going to make him. He knew Batman understood. It wasn't a threat. Jim was just trying to protect him, whoever he may be under the mask.